Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Hey kids, this week we are going to explore the most important thing that ever happened in the whole history of the world and why it changed everything. And it might surprise you when I tell you that it wasn't when baby Jesus was born and placed in the manger and the angels sang and the shepherds visited. It wasn't the Last Supper when he broke the Passover matzah bread and poured the wine and gave them to his disciples to eat and drink, telling them that it was his body and blood. It wasn't when he fed the 5,000 or walked on water or healed the man who was paralyzed. It wasn't even the day he died on the cross. Nope. The most important day ever was when Jesus rose from the dead, and today we will talk about why and what resurrection is and isn't, and why it's different from what happened to Lazarus, and the widow's only son, and the 12-year-old daughter of the synagogue official Jairus, or the boys that Elijah and Elisha raised from the dead. All those were really awesome, of course, but resurrection has only ever happened to one person in the whole history of the world, and that person is Jesus. So why are we talking about this? Because this weekend we celebrate both the Passover and Resurrection Sunday, which is called something like Pascha all over the world, except in German and English, where it was named Oster or Easter after the month it usually happened in. What I call it is first fruits, because on the day that Jesus was resurrected, the priests were in the temple presenting the first sheaf of the barley harvest to God. But we'll talk about that later too. In Hebrew, the day of first fruits is called Yom HaBikurim. Not bickering. No one likes bickering. Bikurim. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he was really dead, and that is a big deal. Throughout history, there have been rumors that he was just faking it, or that he passed out, or that he wasn't really human, and so he didn't really die, or that he was dead, but his disciples sneaked past dangerous sleeping guards who were armed with weapons, and they rolled the big heavy stone away without being heard, and even breaking the seal on the tomb to do it, and stole the body without being noticed. Well, all that's pretty hard to believe. I mean, how do you even stay perfectly still when someone sticks a spear in your side to see if you're really dead? And, and how would you not bleed to death after that anyway? And how would no one ever notice that he wasn't really human? I mean, his mom would have figured out for sure. And the reason that people came up with these kind of claims is for a couple of reasons. One, the highest Jewish authorities, the chief priests, didn't want the people to know that Jesus has risen for, had risen from the dead, and they probably didn't believe it themselves. If all the people whom he had preached to and healed and fed knew that God had raised him from the dead, they would all be following him and believing on him. It would be all over for the authorities who had him killed. I mean, only God can resurrect someone, which is different than raising someone from the dead. Way different. And the only reason that God would resurrect someone would be to prove that they were innocent and write about every claim they made about themselves and the kingdom of heaven. 
I'm going to teach you guys a very important vocabulary word. Vindication. I know it's a long word, but it has a very important meaning. When you are vindicated, it means that you are proven to be totally right. When someone's been in jail for a crime they didn't really commit, and that happens sometimes, and people find out who really did it or find evidence that the person's innocent, the judge will find them innocent and vindicate them. Being vindicated tells the world that the court system was wrong and the person who went to jail was right. And that's what would have happened if the chief priests ever admitted that Jesus was alive again. They would have to admit that Jesus was right about everything he'd said and done and that they had gotten, they'd gotten Pilate, who was, you know, a really evil person, to kill an innocent man in the most terrible way possible. They would have to admit that they condemned, which means that they said he was guilty. Um, they'd condemn somebody who had said he would be coming to judge them. Someone who had done wonderful things for people, who fed the poor and healed the people who couldn't walk or see or hear or speak. You have to admit that anyone who said that someone like that was guilty would be in huge trouble with the people if they had killed that person, you know, through the Romans. But there were others later among the Gentiles, and Gentiles are people who aren't Jewish by birth, who said things that were just as wrong. You see, someone who was crucified in those days was an embarrassment. People were humiliated. If someone they knew was crucified, they said it was a slave's death, a death for the lowest of the low, a traitor to the Roman Empire. It was so bad that if you were a Roman citizen, no matter what you did and no matter how horrible it was, you couldn't be crucified. <clears throat> the Romans believed that their citizens were too special to be crucified. And you were either born a citizen, that was the easiest way to become a citizen, or you got your citizenship after serving in the army for 25 years, if you survived it. Or you got your citizenship because you were a slave in the house of a citizen who got freed after you were 30 years old. That's also a hard way to become a citizen. Um, or you could buy your citizenship. Although no one seems to know how much it costs, but we know it must have been a lot. I guess if you have to ask, you can't afford it. So, because they couldn't deal with the embarrassment of following and believing in someone who was executed as a criminal and tortured and hung out naked for everyone to see, they came up with some other theories. No, the Romans didn't really kill him. They were stupid and he tricked them. Or they, they were bribed. Yeah, it looked like he was dead, but... That's because he wasn't actually a human, but he really just had a pretend body and he was a spirit in disguise. You're like, ooh, you know, a ghost or something. Um, they said these things because in their way of thinking, it was just too strange to think that someone who is divine and that's someone who is in some way God, even though we don't totally understand that because our brains are too small. And if he would explained it, our brains would probably explode. Well, nobody could see how somebody like that, who was God in some way, 
could also be so human that he could die a real death. Nobody really understands, even though people try to come up with little sayings and mind pictures to explain it. You know, sometimes we just have to say, I have no idea how this works, but I know it does. A God who could die? That made no sense whatsoever to a Gentile who had been brought up to think that that was nonsense. And we know that people made fun of the early Christians for it. There is even graffiti making fun of a man named Alexamenos for worshiping a god who could be nailed to a cross and killed by mere mortals. So just by human beings, regular people. As for the ones that who thought Jesus had a pretend body, they were called Gnostics. And they thought that the physical world, that's the world around us, was so evil and yucky that there was no way that a divine being would ever want to have a real body with real skin and a body that had to eat and poop and pee and all that because they thought the goal of life was to escape the body and be spirits. So like, ooh. Um, they figured that God hated real bodies too. And now, grown-ups come up with some strange stuff to make them feel better about believing in Jesus, right? And you don't have to remember any of that because it's nutty and confusing and that's not what the Bible tells us, so why even go there? What the Bible tells us is that before his death, Jesus said over and over again that on the third day he would rise from the dead. It was so confusing that even his own disciples didn't understand. They didn't like to hear it. Peter even told him that it shouldn't happen. Peter, Peter didn't understand that Jesus didn't come to lead an army to kill all of Israel's enemies, but to make their enemies into the kinds of people who were no longer violent and who loved their neighbors as themselves. And when we're angry with people, you know, like Peter and the rest of the Jews were angry at the invading army that took over their country and cruelly taxed them and abused them and enslaved them and starved them by taking their food and using it themselves. I mean, who can blame them, right? They thought that the Messiah, who's the anointed savior from God, would destroy all of Israel's enemies and begin a wonderful new kingdom where Israel would rule the world and no one would mess with them again and they could worship God at his temple in peace. And it sounds pretty awesome when you're suffering, but it wasn't God's plan. Instead of sending a savior who would kill, he sent a savior who would die. Now, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know how he explained what Jesus did by having Aslan do something similar for Edward to save him from the consequences of his sins and to defeat the witch. The witch punished the wrong one, someone who was totally innocent, and she killed him in a terrible way. When she did that, Aslan came back to life and destroyed her kingdom. And that's called an allegory. And an allegory is a story that explains one thing that's hard to understand by telling a story about something else. It's written to be entertaining. But what Jesus did was far more amazing. What Jesus did was real. You see, none of us are innocent. And so when we die, it doesn't do much of anything bad to Satan. We're supposed to die. All humans die at some point, right? But Jesus was perfect, 
and never sinned. And so he didn't have to die or he didn't deserve to die. The curse on Adam and Eve didn't apply to Jesus because where they disobeyed God, Jesus obeyed. Where Adam and Eve lied, Jesus didn't lie. When Adam and Eve tried to make themselves to be more like God, Jesus was humble and served everyone even though he could work miracles. Jesus broke the curses of the garden. They didn't apply to him, and so Satan didn't have any power over him. And Satan sure tried to tempt him, but it didn't work. And people tried to tempt him, but that didn't work either. And he didn't want to die. He asked God to make another way. But even though he didn't want to do it, and not wanting to be crucified isn't a sin, it's just honest, it's just smart. Well, he did it because he was perfectly obedient. That means that the power of death, which we can't do anything about, couldn't keep Jesus dead. And in trying to keep Jesus dead, Satan and death lost the battle and are now weak and dying. They still work on us, even when we believe in Jesus, but not like they worked before we believed. And that's why it's so important to talk about resurrection, which is like the greatest thing about our future. Now, when Elijah and Elisha and Jesus raised people from the dead, it was different from what happened to Jesus. The boys raised by Elijah and Elisha and the daughter of Jairus, and the, uh, the widow's son and Lazarus were raised from the dead. That means that they were dead, but were alive again, but in the exact same bodies, like in a video game. Not one where you start over again from the beginning, but one of those ones where you pick up exactly where you left off. If you were raised from the dead, nothing about you or your body changed except that you were alive and healthy again. And don't get me wrong, that is awesome. It's amazing. It's a miracle. But it isn't the same as what happened to Jesus and what will happen to us someday. Because all those people who were raised from the dead, they died again someday just like normal people. Now, when Jesus died, and this is hard to hear, his, his body was torn up really badly. Isaiah 53 says that he didn't even look like a human being anymore because they tortured him so bad. In paintings, you only see the nails in his hands and feet and the blood from his forehead where they put the crown of thorns on him. But we know from the Bible that they did terrible things to him. Now, without the sign above his head on the cross, no one would know it was him. But three days later, when the women went back to the tomb to wrap him in spices, they saw a man who looked like a gardener, and they asked him if he knew where they had taken Jesus. They were so upset. Now, if Jesus looked the way he did before he died, they would have recognized him right away. But Jesus looked different. Jesus was perfect. Jesus had a resurrected body, and someday we will too. With his resurrected body, he could appear suddenly in a room. He could walk along with people who knew him personally and they didn't know it was him. He still had the nail holes and the spear wound in his side so that they would believe it was him. But other than that, Jesus was not the same. Jesus had a body that wouldn't grow any older, that couldn't get sick, but he still ate. And that's definitely something to look forward to. The people who said that Jesus never had a real body thought that having a real body was the worst thing in the world. They wanted to be set free from their bodies so they could do they could be spirit beings. 
But the Bible tells us that resurrection is about having a real body after we die, a perfect body that can still enjoy eating and singing praises to God and hugging and all sorts of things. That means that my son won't have medical problems anymore. Means that the problems that my strokes cause won't be a problem anymore. You know, many years ago, I had a dream of what it would be like. I saw a woman walking towards me. Now, she was famous, but she died about 20 years earlier. And she wasn't pretty when she was alive. But in my dream, she walked up to me and whispered in my ear the most wonderful things about God, which I can't remember, dang it. And she looked the way she always did, but instead of not being pretty, she was the most beautiful person I had ever seen in my life. When I woke up, I was crying because not being able to look at her anymore was horrible. I would have done anything to see her face again. And so I know that no matter what we look like now, we will look the same when we resurrect, only we will all be incredibly beautiful. And you know what? That means we're already beautiful. But we can't see it here because of sin. You're beautiful. And if we weren't all messed up because of sin, everyone would know it. But you can know it. And I already do know it. No wheelchairs, no leg braces, no fake knees or shunts or crutches, no brain damage. Nothing that we experience bad in this world. God is going to free us from all the bad things that have ever happened to us. Isn't that amazing? People who are hurting on the outside won't hurt anymore. And people who hurt on the inside won't hurt either. All the bad things that have ever happened to us and make us sad, they won't bother us ever again. If you were raised from the dead, like Lazarus, it would be totally different. He had the same exact body and memories, but not us. And people will finally get real justice for the things that have hurt them. Justice is when bad things are done to us and someone makes those things right again. Of course, we'll still have the memories and the hurts from the bad things, but so no one can really make things right again here. They can just hopefully make things better. But when we're resurrected... Here on earth, like it talks about at the end of the book of Revelation, we will not hurt about those things anymore. They won't matter to us anymore. We'll all live together with everyone else who loves God and Jesus will be king over all the earth and we won't hurt the way we do now. Just like Jesus's body doesn't hurt anymore. He was on the cross and it was horrible, but he isn't there now. He's sitting beside his father, talking to him about us and surrounded by angels. And with our new bodies, because we're resurrected and not raised, we'll be able to do amazing things that we can't even imagine now. Without sin in our lives and without people hurting us, just imagine the amazing things we can do with our lives. Just think of the things we'll understand. The people who wanted Jesus to have a fake body didn't understand that bodies are important to God, even though he doesn't have one. Which is funny because we call God he, right? Ancient Hebrew had no word for it, and besides, it would be rude to call God an it. Jesus is a he, of course, but throughout the Bible, God is described as both father and mother because the only way we can describe God is through metaphors, by talking about what he's like. Although he's like a father and like a mother and like a husband and like a king, he is so far beyond those things. Those labels just help us understand him better. But even though he has no body, we do have bodies and our bodies are very important to him.
That's why Jesus healed bodies and spoke to ears and listened to mouths and fed tummies and touched people who weren't supposed to be touched and fixed them so they could go home again. Our bodies are important to God. He designed them to be good so we could be his hands and feet and to do what he can do without needing a body at all. <laughs> he doesn't have a body. He doesn't need a body. He can do more without a body than all of us together can do with our bodies. So he isn't a man or a woman or a human at all. He's God and he's amazing. If God was a human, we'd all be in big trouble because we know what humans are like. Now, Jesus showed us a future where there wouldn't be any sickness or suffering or hunger or thirst or teasing or bullying or people who are in the in crowd and people who aren't. The future the world to come here on earth when Jesus is king is a world with real, perfect bodies and where we will see everyone is beautiful because they already are beautiful. God sees us the way I saw the woman in my dream. He doesn't look at our faces and see us as the world sees us. He sees us as his beautiful creations. People don't understand what it is to be beautiful. I'm glad God made me understand it. Now, back to Jesus not being recognized in the garden after he was resurrected. In John 21, starting in verse 14, we see Jesus appearing first to Mary Magdalene. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said to her, since I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. Wow. When Mary heard his voice, she knew it was Jesus. And I imagine she was about to fall to his feet and grab them because she was so relieved to see him alive. After all, it was Mary and the other woman who stayed with him at the cross and saw everything while the disciples were gone. Although one man was there, either John or maybe Lazarus. She knew he was dead. Wasn't a rumor to her. There was no mistake. But Jesus told her not to touch him because he hadn't gone to God yet. And I imagine he went because Mary ran off to tell the disciples. And I can't imagine she would leave while he was still there. I sure wouldn't. And I bet you wouldn't either. As long as Jesus is there, I am there too. But why did Jesus go? Why didn't he go with Mary to see the disciples? Why didn't he parade around town or go to the temple and work miracles? Well, like we talked about last year for Passover, Jesus was the Lamb of God. And so he was just like that lamb that the Israelites ate in Egypt. Only a lamb in Egypt was only good for one family and only for that night. But what Jesus did on the cross as the ultimate Lamb of God, you know, he destroyed sin and destroyed death for everyone who believes in it's forever. Not just for one night, but something else always happened during the week of Passover. On the Sunday during the Passover week, the priests would take a very special offering of the new barley crop to the temple. They would cut a sheaf, 
which is, you know, the stems plus uh, the barley heads, which is what you can eat. And if you've seen a cartoon or a picture of Joseph's dream with all the sheaves bowing down to him, you know what I mean. The priest would take a sheaf and do a special kind of offering. They would hold up the sheaf and wave it before the Lord so that he would bless the harvest and then everyone could eat the barley. But they couldn't eat it until after God got some first. That was called Bikurim, or first fruits. And that was the same day that Jesus was resurrected. And that's why Paul said, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. All those sheaves of barley for more than a thousand years every year were all pointing the way to Jesus being resurrected from the dead. I love you. Happy Passover. Happy First Fruits. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Music